it in our daily lives. Um, And today in the studio, we're continuing with our series on creation care and environmental stewardship. And last week we had on Nick Wiggins from uh, the Wolf River Conservancy. Um, I highly recommend that you check out that. If you haven't already, check it out on the Faithfully Memphis podcast. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, all the things. And hey, if if you're liking what you're hearing, please look for us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a positive review. I mean, you can leave us a negative review, but please just send us a positive review because that helps us to um, share what we're doing and for more people to find out about Faithfully Memphis. And uh, yeah, just it helps us out a lot. Um, Share us with a friend, share us with somebody who you think uh, would be interested in uh, learning about uh, the way faith uh, faith formation looks in the lives of different people. But anyway, that series is continuing today. I, I am delighted to have Michelle Cowan from the um, Clean Memphis Initiative here with me in the studio today. We're going to be talking about Clean Memphis's new Water is Wonderful campaign, um, as well as a lot of other really neat things that they are doing. And um, Michelle's life, you know, we've just been in the studio for the net last um 15 minutes or so just chatting getting to know each other and y'all are in for a really special treat getting to know Michelle uh, this morning but first uh, we'll start out with our segment um, called the saint of the day and you know um, in our Episcopal faith we have a calendar um, where we honor uh, some uh, people who have lived um, outstanding lives um, in their lives of faith and so I was taking a look as I normally do when I know that I'm slated to be on uh, Faithfully Memphis and I was taking a look at the calendar and um, yesterday I noticed that um, we were honoring St. Wolfston and I hadn't ever heard of St. Wolfston before so I went on to good old Wikipedia, you know, you can find whatever you need on Wikipedia. And I learned, and I was, uh, he had me within the first line, because uh, if you've known me for a while, you know that I am a medieval file. I love to learn about anything that has to do with medieval life and uh, the way history played out during that time. Um, and St. Wolfston played a pretty substantial role um, during the Norman invasion and subsequent subsequent um, con uh, um, um conquest of the uh, uh, Norman area of uh, England in 1066. Uh, 1066 kind of, you know, for us uh, Americans and people this side of the Atlantic Ocean, it's kind of the 
uh, I've been told that for Brits and French people, it's the equivalent of 1776 in that it's a pretty important year um, in the history of their country. Um, St. Wolfston was the Bishop of Worcester from 1062 to 1095, and he was the last surviving pre-conquest bishop and the only English-born bishop after 1775, and he's a saint in uh, many Western Christian churches. Um, He was born about 1008 at, I'm not even going to try, Long Itchington. I I can't, y'all. Long Itchington. I really hope that that's a real place. In the English um, county of Warwickshire, his family lost their lands around the time um, King Newt of England came to the throne. I love these names. I love these old medieval names. He was probably named after his uncle, and even uh, and through his uncle's influence, he studied at monasteries in Evesham and Peterbury. So he was initially called um, to ministry um, at a young age, as um, you know, uh, people typically were um, at that time, uh, and, and he was raised up to be a priest. And um, but. He was primarily a social reformer. Um, He um, struggled to bridge the gap between old and new regimes and to alleviate the suffering of the poor. He was a strong opponent of the slave trade and together with Lanfranc was uh, mainly responsible for ending the trade from Bristol. So at that time, um, the slave trade uh, from Ireland to England was, um, you know, it, it, it was a pretty bad situation um and so he that was his the cause that he championed um and so i think that that's really that that spoke to me a lot uh you know you don't hear very often about medieval uh historical figures um really advocating for the rights and human dignity of um folks who were not in those ruling classes at the time. Um, But Wolfston appeared to have really uh, made sure to do everything that he could to uh, pursue freedom for those in a lower, who were not in a privileged position. He, um, let's see, looking at my notes, he was responsible for the compilation by Hemming of the second cartulary of Wooster. Um, I don't really know what that means, but it was in the Wikipedia article, so I would say it's pretty important. And yeah, so I just want us to remember that uh, there are people in positions of power who are advocating for us, even when we feel like there's, that we're not being listened to. Um, And Wolfston is a good shining example of that. All right, and we're back. I'm really excited uh, today to have Michelle Cowan from Clean Memphis with me in the studio. Hey, Michelle. Hi, Emily. How are you doing? I'm doing great. 
Good. Well, welcome to uh, Faithfully Memphis. Uh, it's a pretty chilly morning here in Memphis, and so I appreciate you hauling out here and uh, sharing with us a little bit about Clean Memphis and the new Water is Wonderful campaign. Um, so can you kind of, for someone who's never heard of Clean Memphis before, or maybe has heard of it, but is kind of not sure about uh ways to engage will you give us kind of the the 101 spiel on what y'all do and and how long you've been doing it and all that good stuff sure sure clean memphis has been around for about 11 years um started by my still boss uh janet boscarino uh janet had the um had the initiative to see that memphis was had been a clean city and was actually becoming very full of litter. So she took it upon herself to start this nonprofit um, to help Memphis get cleaner. And um, that's ultimately what we do, but we work in a variety of, of areas. We work with children. So our, our, our um, mission statement is educating youth, engaging leadership, and empowering communities. So we work in three areas, right? We work with children in the public schools. Um, we work with the leadership. And when we talk about leadership, we're talking about city and county leaders, um, the mayors, the um, councilmen, the leaders that make the decisions mm -hmm. around here. And we make sure that they're informed about um, what's going on as far as some um, new technologies and new movements related to mm. litter and solid waste. Yeah. Which doesn't sound exciting, but it actually really is. Oh yeah. And then we also work to empower communities. So for example, during the, um, during the COVID crisis, we got some money that we would normally use to have some large neighborhood cleanups. Mm -hmm. But during the pandemic, groups yeah. couldn't get together, large groups. So instead, what we did is we used the money to buy toolkits for neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So um, sometimes rakes, shovels, um, weed whackers, yeah, yeah. bush trimmers, things so that community organizations could lend those tools out yeah, to individuals yeah. that might not have those tools available right, to them right. so that they could do cleanups on their own on a, in a small scale. That's really neat. That's and cool. so we help to empower community um, communities within Memphis to um, work on their own neighborhoods, and we help to give them the tools and resources to the help literal do that. tools, the right? literal tools, and the resources. But so you are the educational director. What is what? How, what does your day to day look like? And how? And you talked a little bit about uh, you know elementary outreach and that type of stuff. How does that look for you? So uh, we have. There, including myself, there are three educators mm -hmm. um, that work for Clean Memphis. And we go into the schools and teach environmental education, yeah, uh, yeah. standards-based education, um, except that we do it with a little bit of a twist. Yeah. So we do it, make sure that we have hands-on, mm -hmm. um, students are engaging. Um, a lot of times that might mean they, they do a lesson outside yeah, yeah. in actual nature. Mm -hmm. um, but then also we can we put a we put an environmental twist mm -hmm. to some regular science standards. For example, students in middle school study physical and chemical changes. Yes. And um, 
that's very it's it's pretty cut and dry yeah right yeah. Uh, frying an egg is a chemical change and breaking a pencil is a physical change yes yes but there are also physical and chemical changes that occur in the environment yes that are very important for students to understand you know it's funny you say that because just a couple days ago we uh, I have a fourth grader at home and we uh, acquired a fish tank um, from a friend who was looking to offload his fish tank and um, and I think that when we went to go get all of our things that we needed for our fish tank, um, my daughter was like, okay, well, we need, we need, uh, uh, we need to get the fish and we need to get the pebbles. And, and I was like, yeah. And we also need to get those little, uh, we, there are some chemicals that we need to put in the water to make sure that it stays clean for them and healthy for them. So that was kind of a, a Montessori moment. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And things like acid rain, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's a chemical change. That's a chemical change that occurs in the atmosphere when the rain falls. It affects us. It affects yeah. um, buildings, how they wear. Mm -hmm. It can affect crops. And so those are some of the things that we kind of juice up uh, yeah, yeah, in an yeah. environmental way, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a good way of putting it. You got to juice it up to make it palatable for a for an eighth grader. But also we engender stewardship, environmental yeah. stewardship in our students. And so, for example, they learn about solid waste, meaning um, where does your trash go? When, when you ask a, uh, an elementary student wh what happens to your trash, they go, you put it in the trash can. And then the trash um, collector comes. Sometimes they see them. Uh, yeah, the yeah, yeah, comes. yeah. Sometimes they don't even see that part of it, right? Yeah. As, a, as a small child, you may not even notice mm -hmm. that someone's putting the trash out and right. then the big truck is coming. You know, they come so early in the morning. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they learn about that and they learn about what happens in a landfill, actually how those things work. They learn about litter, how it travels, especially since we're in Memphis. Mm -hmm. um, we're right on the Mississippi. Yeah. And so even if you're out in Bartlett or, you know, West Memphis, so that trash is going through our storm drain systems mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's going to the Mississippi. Yeah. And so that Mississippi, we know travels right to the ocean exactly so we're very in a crucial physical location to affect uh to affect the ocean health believe it or not yeah um here in i know that's hard for me to wrap my mind around um and so god bless you for you know trying to plant those seeds early with kids Many of our students have not seen the ocean, of course, yeah. and many of them haven't seen the Mississippi River. You know, the funniest thing is to ask a student whether they've seen the Mississippi River mm -hmm. or not, whether you can tell whether they have or not. You ask them what color it is. Oh, right. Yeah. So it's what color is the Mississippi River? Well, of course, if you haven't seen it, you'll say it's blue. You'll say it's blue. <laughs> because that's the color that it is in your textbook when you look at a, uh, when you look at a you know, physical map of the United States. It's a little blue squiggle line. Exactly. Right? But we know that the Mississippi is brown. It's and so brown. we talk to them about that. And uh, honestly, um, the Mississippi River watershed, which we teach a lot about watershed health, yeah. um, covers more than half the country. Yeah. Um, wow. Even, you know, states so far away. Yeah. Minnesota, Wisconsin. I know. It, it's always wild to me when people you know you growing up in memphis 
the Mississippi River is just it's just ubiquitous. It's it's the thing that is here. And then when I remind myself that the uh, that the mouth of the Mississippi River goes where the mouth is the top part, right? No, the that's mouth the, is bottom. the bottom. Okay, I'm sorry. That's that's why I needed a science the teacher. The head is the top. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it goes all the way from Minnesota to the uh, Gulf of Mexico. That's wild to me. It's not just ours. No, it's, it's not. not just ours. No, it's not. And it's not just our pollution either. Yeah, of course. But we do affect it. And if we can, if we can teach our citizens, right, our young people early to care about that, and they do, and they do. And so uh, we've got students, um, hundreds of students, picking up litter all over the city of Memphis. I mean, so how did you find yourself in this role where you are teaching kids during a pandemic about uh, natural conservancy of their uh, of their hometown? How, how, how did you get there? Well, I'm not an environmentalist, so um, that's kind of maybe a plus and maybe a minus in, for my job, honestly. Um, I'm learning the environmental science, but I'm a teacher, so I have some background. Yeah. I'm also an urban planner, and so um, I have that background of knowledge mm-hmm. um, to bring. Um, I've worked for a number of small nonprofits and really found that that's where um, that's where I thrive yeah. is in a, in a group of people and in this case um, right now we're all women in a group of women who are strong yeah. and um, hardworking and um, very much a team yeah. and so it's a great place um, to work honestly I work with an amazing group of women and then the people that we touch in the city um, are incredible. We work yeah. with Shelby County School, um, the district personnel. We work with teachers, of course. Um, we work with students directly. I don't get to do that quite as much. Mm-hmm. Um, my day-to-day is a lot about managing relationships, yeah. managing relationships with our schools, with our corporate partners, mm-hmm. our funders, we get a lot of support from our local um, our local companies. Yeah, and Memphis, international paper. International was, paper is one of them, yeah. absolutely. Um, and that's right. That's what we're going to talk about our partnership today. But also AutoZone and FedEx mm-hmm. and um, you know a lot of uh, a lot of the big corporations that do support um, our environmental programming. That's another really kind of special thing about Memphis um, and working in the nonprofit sector. You realize that, um, you know, there, you know, we were talking about our saying of the day earlier about, you know, people who are in positions of power um, and how they, can really make a difference if they're committed to it. And I think that some of our larger corporations here in Memphis, they do do a good bit of good um, in supporting the work of smaller entities that are like um, Clean Memphis and MIFA and you know Church Health and all these and St. Jude and, and organizations that are really, really making a positive difference. It's, it's good to see um, how we all are in concert with one another. 
Well, another part of what we do is work with corporate teams to find them um, volunteer opportunities. And so we definitely work um, with a lot of the larger corporations and some of the smaller corporations Mm -hmm. in town, um, Buckman and Nike, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that that they're interested in getting yeah. their employees out to yeah. become stewards of the environment as well. And we provide that opportunity for corporate groups. To hey, do that. yeah, nice plug. So, you know, if, if any of you listening are looking for a great team building uh, activity for your team, maybe maybe get in touch, get in touch with Clean Memphis. In fact, during the pandemic, a lot of corporations aren't working. Um, yeah. Employees are not working from home. And so volunteer opportunities became a problem. We were able to be creative with some. We, mm-hmm. we were teaching virtually yeah, because um, students were not in schools. Mm-hmm. And um, we developed a, a, a book club yeah. for second graders around um, environmental stewardship, around water conservation, um, litter, recycling, composting. And we had, um, we had volunteers um, from Nike who, who dialed in and yeah. read to the students. And that was fantastic. And that then our cool. educators led a lesson. Um, but we were able to be, that's the best part about a small nonprofit is yeah. how flexible you can be. Talk to me a little bit more about that community planning piece and, and where uh, you saw what you had learned during that portion of your career could be applicable to uh, the work that was being done in the nonprofit sector and, or excuse me, in like the kind of environmental stewardship um, circles? Well, my background is in community development and, um, and in that my first graduate school, out of graduate school job had to do with anti-poverty work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we helped a number, this was not in Memphis, this was in Arlington, Virginia, mm-hmm. before I, I moved here, but learning where the vulnerabilities are in mm-hmm. a community mm-hmm. is um, was very key to the services that we provided um, to low-income individuals. And in, in Memphis, we see that when you drive through the city, the the wealthier neighborhoods they are clean mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and the lower income neighborhoods they are not and mm-hmm. um honestly a lot of that has to do with our you know the service yeah um if you have a community where there's a lot of traffic and a lot of business going on then the neighborhoods are getting cleaned up yeah and in yeah. areas that they're not as important to our business um environment they're they're not and so it's very important um there's been a disconnect as we Mm -hmm. have have grown through into this century where a disconnect between people and the environment Mm -hmm. um, people in nature and of course especially in large cities yeah yeah where you feel like you have to a lot time to okay i'm going to shelby i mean it's not to you know cut down anybody but it's like you know go to shelby farms or you go to the park to enjoy nature where it doesn't seem like that's necessarily if you want to enjoy the outdoors or you want to enjoy where you are living you don't need to get in a car and go there exactly and so um we we try to 
to bond students with the nature that's right around them. Mm -hmm. We use a mm -hmm. number of tools to do that. We use this great tool called iNaturalist that I'm mm -hmm. totally obsessed with. Is that the one where you, it, it's like an app on your phone and you can take a picture of something and it will tell you, spit out what it is? Exactly. Okay, wow, look at, look at that. Good I, job. Yay. Um, it's my favorite yeah. app. Honestly, yeah. um, I use it for everything, and I live out in Shelby Forest, so I do get to um, enjoy nature uh, on the daily, but I take pictures of all kinds of things um, and learn what they are. Students can do that as well, even in their even in their on their campus in their mm -hmm. playground um, there's a number there's all kinds of things to learn about um, about our environment mm -hmm. and then that interconnectedness is really important yeah understanding that what I do affects you and right. what you do affects someone you may not even know right it may affect them now or it may affect them in the future yeah and so it's that um, butterfly effect right students see that and they they love it because yeah. even as a second or third grader I can pick up litter like that is not behind beyond me mm -hmm. um, I can make sure my trash gets in I can finish we, we talk about food waste as well yeah yeah and that was something I wanted to ask you about as well because when I was um, looking on uh, the clean Memphis website I know I noticed that there's a pretty um, decent chunk of real estate about food waste and how um, you uh, clean Memphis works with different restaurants and uh, different food purveyors to kind of alleviate that food waste exactly that's one of our big goals um, and when I joined with clean Memphis two and a half years ago I didn't know anything about food waste mm -hmm. um, it's incredibly interesting yeah um 40 of the food that is grown mm -hmm. for our consumption in the world is not eaten it's yeah. thrown yeah. away yeah um and that's all the land that's used for that that's almost half of the the land mm -hmm. and the water and the work yeah and then the the natural resources, the fuel that's used to transport that food. What about the avocados that went bad? Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't come from around here. Right, <laughs> right. They came from Mexico, they and there were far. and they uh, there was a lot of uh, probably petroleum um, that got burned in the process of getting them here to Memphis, where they would subsequently be thrown away. Exactly. So we're 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 approaching the food waste. Um, pro issue from a number of um, a number of ways so we we work with students in Shelby County Schools to do food audits in their mm -hmm, cafeterias mm -hmm. we just finished one in December that is amazingly informative yeah um, and then we're working with Shelby County Schools to to inform them of what we found so that um, for example we did a food audit and the role was not being eaten by a majority of the students mm -hmm. and we reported that back up the line and don't you know within a week the staff were sourcing a new role yeah a role that was softer yeah right because that was the the problem so we can we can work together to eliminate a lot of that food waste they're also doing um, a project about called the memphis food waste project mm -hmm and the campaign 901 save the food mm -hmm. and those um those things are all 
on social media. Yeah, yeah. And help you got to be on social media. Help us learn how how do you keep food longer in your house? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. can you do with your leftovers? I learned I've learned amazing things um, from from my friends at Clean Memphis how um, they they chop up you know their vegetable ends for mm-hmm. the week. They throw them in the freezer mm-hmm. and then make vegetable stock. Yeah. What? Who have, who thought of that? I think that's an amazing um, an amazing thing where you can actually, if you think, you can really use your resources. So yeah. I, you know, I just bought vegetable stock yesterday. I shouldn't have done that, right? I could have made my own. I'm I'm thinking of um, at Church of the Holy Communion, one of the churches in our diocese. They um, partnered with. Um, the uh, Memphis, I think Memphis Jewish Foundation, and last it, over the last couple summers, um, they've been undertaking what, like a gleaning project where um, at the farmers market at uh, at the agri center, I think that um, once a week, you know, they they glean the produce that otherwise would have been thrown away. The you know, it's just it's donated by the farmers who. Um, weren't able to sell it and they take it they glean that produce and then they um, you know have volunteer teams who work in the kitchens um, or they volunteer at the kitchens that are on those faith community campuses um, to create uh, freezer meals that um, they then donate to um, different entities here in town that need you know that they can feed people who are hungry exactly exactly and And that's one of the big projects that's all stuff that would have been thrown away the Memphis food waste project is going even further what they're doing is they're um, creating an assessment of who has the extra food what Mm -hmm. do they have and then also who are all those um last mile organizations right who is who are all the people who are feeding hungry people and there's a lot of them we have a lot of generous people in this city who are working to feed hungry people but we need to make sure we know it's, what their capacity it, is it's it's important for the right hand to know what the left hand is doing exactly and that's where the partnership piece really comes in where it it we need to we need to be able to help each other out exactly so that's one of our big projects in the next year is to um, work on who has food that is left over we do work with restaurants um, caterers as well as we're starting to talk with some of the larger venues in town mm-hmm. um, to talk about what what do they do with the food that's left over and then we're doing an assessment of those last mile organizations what's their capacity what do they need and trying to match those groups up so hopefully very soon we'll have a lot more donations going on and a lot more feeding going on yeah yeah well there's i think that one of the many things that we've seen over the last couple of years that we've always sort of known about humming in the background but definitely one of the things that the pandemic has really brought to light is how um hunger is a major um it's a major impediment to our community's well-being and um you know anything that we can do to to make sure that people have a full stomach and all and it, and if it also dovetails into making our community a healthier 
environmental place to live. I mean, exactly. What what could it's a go, win-win situation? It totally is. Correct. It totally is. Um, so you know, what are some of the ways that uh, people here in Memphis and people who might be listening to the show? Um, how can they engage with Clean Memphis? How can they support what you're doing? Um, engage with your programs. Uh, just uh, what do, what can what's your call to action? How can we help? Well, we have a number of um, initiatives that we're working on. The food waste is one. And if you go to um, our website, cleanmemphis.org, you'll find a quiz or a test. Um, to test your food waste knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, It's shocking. The numbers are shocking. And then after you take the test, there's an opportunity for you to make a pledge um, to monitor your food waste or to lessen your food waste. That might mean donating food uh, as an individual. It might mean looking for ways to store your food Mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. It might mean cooking and freezing. We do that a lot at my house now that my children are gone. Um, we cook a meal that used to feed four, but there's only two of us. Yeah. yeah. So we split it and we, we freeze half of it. So just thinking through that food waste piece, how can you reduce the amount of food that you throw away? Um, composting. We have um, the compost ferry. That <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. That yeah. is a paid service um, that is residential um, primarily at this time they'll come and they'll pick up your compost on the weekly that's not even that expensive and then you also get mulch at the end of the year out of that or compost i'm sorry not mulch you get compost at the end um that's our food waste call to action Mm -hmm. we also have a litter piece um in fact we have the mlk days of service yeah yeah challenge that's still running um because of the terrible weather last weekend Mm -hmm. um, we've extended our mlk days of service challenge through the end of the month and that's a challenge using another app um, which is called literati yeah um nice l-i-t-t-e-r love a good pun a-t-i love a good pun and that's a good one and clean memphis is partnering with literati has purchased the licensing and we're basically doing some mapping what it does is it records litter Mm mm-hmm just like with iNaturalist, you use your phone to take a picture of a species of some mm-hmm. kind. This, with the litter app, Literati app, you use it to record your litter. Mm-hmm. So um, I went over the weekend to participate, took my phone and a friend, a trash grabber, um, and, a, and a trash bag, and went along and picked up about 75 pieces of trash, took a picture of each item, it uploaded to the app, it geolocated it. Wow. And it allowed me to tag it. And so tagging is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, the app uses AI to learn what things are from pictures, but it's still in that learning phase. Wow. And so yeah, by so tagging your items by what material it's made of, um, what the item is, and then if you ha- can tell a brand what that brand is. Yeah, wow. That's yeah. now talk about corporate responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's where, that's really where things are going um, back to, at least we're hoping, back to some corporate responsibility so that the manufacturers that are manufacturing and putting out these products that are littering mm-hmm. our world will be responsible for their end, uh, end use. Yeah. So end of life. I I'm 
really enjoying learning more about what clean Memphis, all that y'all do. Michelle, like what motivates you? And, and if, can you share a little bit about how uh, this work has impacted your, uh, you know, you said you're not a, a trained environmentalist. That's not your career path. But how does this work that you do, how does that um, play a part in just how you view the world and motivates you to keep doing this work even when, you know, it? it I, I, I have to put the brakes on my own uh media intake sometimes because it can get really depressing yeah well I'm in a job though that is very exciting and gives me a lot of hope for the future Mm -hmm. Um, when we work with young children of course anyone working with young children you if you're not affected by their joy Mm -hmm. and you know, just life force, right? Or when you see a concept clicking, like, okay, now I got it. But even just the joy of seeing children, like coming, I teach a class regularly, right? We come in, we go into schools and we teach um, students about every other week, once every other week, and we teach a whole grade generally. Mm-hmm. And so um, just seeing that ch- the children be excited to see me, um, excited to think about Clean Memphis and, and what we're doing together as a group. I understand it's fun to see anyone other than your regular teacher at school. I get that. But um, the students really do enjoy um, the work. And I think what really lights them up mm-hmm. is, which is what lights me up, is seeing them lit up. Mm-hmm. Um, is the fact that we teach them that it's, you don't have to be an adult yeah. to make an imp- to make a positive effect on the environment, just like you don't have to be an adult to make a negative effect on the environment. Right, right. And so... Wow, that's an important side of the coin. Exactly. And so when they understand, um, you know, these are life practical things, mm-hmm. but they're not things you normally discuss with small children yeah yeah um and so discussing with them like i would talk to you talking to children about food waste and what it would do or litter and how it can travel to the ocean and really affects um, our world seeing that they are empowered to pick up a piece of litter or you know last year really we learned that a lot of the litter that we picked up was water bottles Oh, oh, anecdotally, that makes total sense. I, I just walk around, uh, the, the ubiquity of water bottles is kind of wild. T- over 2,500 pieces of litter in our litter challenge last spring, and 16% of that were water bottles alone. Yeah. So learning that, seeing it for themselves, um, made in effect and now when i go into schools i see students with reusable water bottles yes i don't see them with the disposable water bottles um and our schools are moving toward allowing them to use we have the pandemic and the yeah water fountains and all that but um they're they are bringing their their water bottles from school knowing that it makes a difference um 
being excited. We have students working on their campuses to find litter, litter hotspots mm -hmm. yeah. and then trying to figure out a solution. What would be the solution to this litter hotspot right here? Do we mm -hmm. need a trash can? Do we need, you know, what, what do we need? What is, where is that litter coming from? Just yeah. thinking it through. Yeah. They get very excited about solutions because I don't think kids can really solve a lot of problems. I think, yeah, yeah. There's a real uh, angst among even adults, you know, especially kids about feeling like you just want to throw your hands up because this just problem is too big for us to solve. And they have so little control over right. their lives mm -hmm. um, that I think that they really enjoy this opportunity to make a difference. Yeah. It's neat to be able to, you know, I always try to find the silver lining, um, which can be a challenge sometimes. But one of the silver linings of this, you know, this season of pandemic is that um, it really is allowing us to interrogate some of the things that uh, maybe we've taken for granted for a long time. Um, I think that we can step back and see you know, like you said, it, that why are we seeing all these water bottles? Why, why has that become uh, the piece of garbage du jour? And, you know, being able to step back and say, okay, this is a problem. Let's discern a way to solve it and how it, and how this maybe one uh, challenge fits into a broader spectrum of, uh, of issues that together we can we can create a solution for we couldn't do it on our own but but when we work together we really can affect a difference you know this has been that this this pandemic this these last two years have been a time where a lot of the problems that have been simmering that we've been hearing about for a long long time are uh, really coming to the fore um, and you know that that it's an opportunity to be brave and to do big things that are going to have a lasting impact. And for that, I thank you for, you know, for being that extra set of teacher hands. Um, you know, as a parent, uh, I, I, I thank God for my daughter's teachers. I definitely thank God for anybody who is uh, showing them and showing her that uh, that creating a, a better world and a world that's worth living and in and taking care of is not something that she has to do on her own and and that the tools to do them are very accessible and so for that I thank you I thank you and I thank you for the work of uh, Clean Memphis um, and so you have the website y'all are active on social media um, um, any other places where we can learn more or request a visit or whatever? How, how can folks engage? So you're welcome to contact us. Um, we are available by our first names at cleanmephis.org. Yeah. So yeah. you can reach me at Michelle. And this waterfall is wonderful curriculum. How do people, is, is that something that uh, y'all's educators would come out and teach at a school or is that something that folks can uh, get their hands on so that they can integrate yeah, it let into me tell you about home? that um, during the pandemic if for, especially the first summer um, when schools shut down and nobody really knew what was going on we had an amazing opportunity to work with international paper 
um, if you heard my little resume, you'll see that I never have worked for a large corporation. So this is really my first experience um, interacting with a huge company like International Paper, and it was a great experience. They, um, they do community outreach and mm-hmm. um, support education and environmental education all over the world mm-hmm. where their facilities are. And they were interested in developing, they have a great curriculum called Paper is Power, mm-hmm. um, right? They make paper. So they um, have a curriculum about the wonderful things you can do with paper, how it's made, and all those wonderful things. But they were looking for a new curriculum um, to really talk about their sustainability efforts because if you think about a paper company, paper companies use a significant amount of water in their line of business. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're not being environmentally sensitive that can be a very bad thing yeah yeah um but international paper works very hard to reuse its water and its processes Mm -hmm. and to clean the water and they return it to the environment and Mm -hmm. so they also practice responsible forestry which Mm -hmm. affects our water quality Mm -hmm. and they wanted to be able to tell their story but also provide education a lot of standards water of course is wonderful yeah and it's also a part of life we can't have life without water yeah water affects everything that we do in 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 our lives every day it affects businesses individuals um, plants animals everything we do and so um, they wanted a curriculum that they could distribute through their um, local the communities, communities that, that they work in, in um, to teachers and they do support education and so they have connections in all their local areas mm-hmm. and we were um, able to put in a, a proposal and won the proposal to be able to develop this curriculum for them and it's about water water standards are everywhere in the yeah. elementary curriculum yeah and these this is a series of five experiments and projects that are all hands-on um, about water conservation, about how little clean yeah. fresh water we have. Yeah, yeah. About how pollution gets into plants through water. Yes. Um, water properties. The properties of water are so fun. Water is so fun to play with. Yeah. And um, we worked with a local graphic artist yeah. to develop this really fun, kid-friendly. It really, I've been sitting here, we've had it out on the table um, between uh, us this morning. And I keep, you know, the, the communicator and the graphic designer and me, I just keep looking at it. I'm like, oh, that's a really pretty, it's it's a really, really pretty um, uh poster it's something that I think that I would kind of want like hanging up somewhere right I love it I love the it's colors really fun and, and it really shows that water affects every part of our communities um, the poster that's developed you're talking about has forests and urban areas and rural areas farms and really shows how water um, yeah. touches all the parts of our lives. We'll definitely get a picture of it up on our uh, Instagram. So the way that we're using it, we do use this um, curriculum in our classrooms when we go into classrooms. 
not only does it have the curriculum, but International Paper really wanted to support teachers, so they yeah. did, they put together another box, mm-hmm. not of paper, but of actual the the supplies that are needed to do all the experiments in the kit. Yeah. And so this kit has two parts to it: a supply box and a curriculum box. Um, with all the cool graphics, there's a couple of um, worksheets for mm-hmm. kids as mm-hmm. well where they can record what's going on yeah um and we're using it as a teacher training tool as well so there's only three of us and we can't affect you know there's a hundred thousand students in shelby county our little three can't do that and so what we're doing is we're um offering some opportunities for teachers um, to come and learn the curriculum Deputizing. as well as some of our other resources yeah and then they'll get a free kit for their classroom wonderful wonderful so just this last um, December we worked with the University of Memphis um, with Dr. Logan Caldwell mm-hmm. in the in the education department yeah and we worked with her students uh, she's a science education teacher we worked with her students who were about to become student teachers and then about to graduate yeah and we did an environmental boot camp for them yeah at T.O. Fuller oh nice nice um right after they got out of school in December before the break and we gave them um well international paper gave them complete kits for the water is wonderful so they'll when they start their new classrooms next fall they'll have all those supplies awesome awesome well i have one fourth grader at home that i uh i bet uh will uh, that program will touch uh her at some point and i'm, I'm looking forward i to sure hearing hope about, so we're yeah. training existing teachers that we have relationships with this summer on and we'll be giving this away again um during our summer boot camp well, wonderful. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for spending some time and for all your good work with Clean Memphis. And uh, and when we have the podcast up uh, later today, I'll be sure to add all the links for um, folks to get in touch with um, Michelle and with the uh, work of Clean Memphis. So thanks. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to Faithfully Memphis this week. Um, you can find us online at uh, edwtn.org to learn more about the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. Um, be sure to tune in to Faithfully Memphis next week. We're going to have um, Bishop Phoebe will be back, and she'll be interviewing um Mia Madison, who is the lead at Memphis Tilth, talking about um, healthy um, growing practices here in Memphis and what we can be doing um, to complement the work of uh, some of the other organizations that we've been hearing about um, during this season. Until next time, this is Emily Austin from the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee wishing you a uh, safety and positivity. Bye.